We just set the machines up. Okay, we're ready to roll. Watch it. Hey, knucklehead. It's time for American Knucklehead, an average Joe's take on the state of the nation. Hello, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the American Knucklehead Podcast. I'm your host, Crawford Smith, and I thank you for listening. As you may know, this podcast is coming to you from Portland, Oregon. And as you may also know, there's been a lot going on here lately. Well, there's been a lot going on everywhere lately, hasn't there? A lot to talk about. First, we've got the COVID pandemic, which continues to rage out of control. It's affected me personally because I haven't had a haircut since February. It's gotten so bad that I'm having to wear product in my hair. I can no longer work the Captain Caveman look, so every morning I gotta rub some goo in my hair and comb it before it sets. It's it's just terrible. Okay, that's a stupid joke, but I wanted to lead off with something a little bit light because the rest of this show is pretty damn serious. Yes, COVID is still raging in the U.S. and a lot of statistics are approaching the levels they were back in mid-April. And at the same time, we're hearing more about shortages in testing capability, lack of personal protective equipment, shortages of ventilators, and hospitals at or near capacity. Holy crispy crap. It's been four months, friends and neighbors. All of this should have been dealt with. Now, in countries with responsible leadership and with citizens that have a sense of civic duty and community, a lot of this stuff has been dealt with. Many European countries are now close to being fully reopened and their citizens and their economies are starting to go about their existence as normal or close to it. Sadly, not here. Now, originally, I was going to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement in this show and the seismic shift in awareness since the murder of George Floyd on May 25th. For many, including myself, it was a wake-up call about the experience of people of color in this country, especially at the hands of law enforcement and the legal system. If you listened to the last episode of the podcast, you'll know that I've had my own issues with the functionality of our legal system. Fortunately, since I'm white and male, I was afforded at least a marginally respectful treatment at the hands of the cops who yanked me out of my house and handcuffed me due to a clerical error in Texas. But I knew at the time, and it was also pointed out by my wife, that this encounter might have gone very, very differently if I were a person of color. For me, the George Floyd murder was the last dot to finally connect and see the big picture of what black people and other people of color have to live with and worry about pretty much all the time. I know others did too, and uh, across the country, protests started taking places in big cities and little towns, as others of all ethnicities started to call out police violence against people of color. As the protests died out in other places, they kept going on in Portland. They were starting to dwindle here as well, but then Trump decided to make an example of a liberal city, and things got really weird really fast. And that's what I want to talk about for this episode. There have already been accusations here in Portland that focusing on the heavy-handed federal response to the Portland protests is basically white people co-opting the Black Lives Matter movement. Okay, I'm going to own that for now and talk about the BLM movement in the next episode 
after the current craziness in Portland dies down, which I hope will be soon. Up until now, I'd been very reluctant to get involved with the BLM demonstrations in Portland because of concerns about COVID. I have loved ones in my household who are high risk for respiratory issues. I didn't want to put anybody's health in jeopardy. However, I'd been hearing so many contradictory descriptions about what was going on right here in my city, and I, of course, was very alarmed at the image of armored stormtroopers indiscriminately attacking peaceful protesters, I had to go see for myself. Now, before I go any further, I want to make the distinction between peaceful protesters and the small element of scumbags who are indeed breaking the law and making the situation a lot worse. Vandalism, graffiti, throwing fireworks at cops, setting fires, shining lasers in people's eyes. Definitely unacceptable and counterproductive, to say the least. Basically, what has been happening in Portland for the last two months is that people meet nightly at designated rally points. They chant and march down to a main protest area downtown. Most of them stay until 10 or 11, and then most of them go home. Now, freed from that moderating influence, the troublemakers now start mm, making trouble. And that's when the stormtroopers roll in and blanket entire blocks with clouds of tear gas. The actions of a small minority of jerks shouldn't be an excuse for an authoritarian crackdown on the First Amendment rights of peaceful protesters. But I'm afraid that's exactly what's been happening here in Portland. For me, a big catalyst for getting involved was watching a video of what happened to a man named Christopher David. Mr. David is a Navy veteran, a graduate of the Naval Academy at Annapolis, and he too was disturbed by the actions of the federal troops in Portland. He wanted to talk to them as a veteran and ask them if they felt what they were doing was in line with their oath to uphold the Constitution. And he did. He went and asked this question, and the response he got was a savage beating. Vicious, two-handed blows with a long wooden club. Now, Mr. David was a rock. He barely even flinched. So the troops discharged a can of tear gas directly in his face. Now, this made him turn away. But despite having a broken hand from the beating, he was still able to flip the bird to his attackers. He's a real Portland hero. Now, I'm no hero, that's for sure, but I had to go see for myself. I had a discussion with the members of my household, and we came up with a way for me to go and participate in the protests without unduly exposing myself to COVID or tear gas. So I was going to go downtown early, avoid closely packed crowds, and at the first sign of violence, I was going to run like a millhouse. Got a ride down to the east side of the Willamette River and walked across the Hawthorne Bridge to downtown. I got to admit, I was nervous on my way over. Nervous and a little scared. Now look, I work in downtown Portland, or at least I did before COVID hit. My office is in one of the sketchier downtown neighborhoods, so I'm used to all manner of Portland street weirdness. But I really couldn't believe that I was, for the first time, afraid to go downtown, and afraid of my own government at that, which made me angry as well as afraid, and furthered my resolve to go and do it. And when I got downtown, I was surprised by how calm it was. Waterfront Park at the end of the bridge, almost deserted. As I got closer to the protest site, I could see a few more people, but not too many. Two blocks later, I was at the back of the Hatfield Courthouse, which has been a focus of the protests. There was graffiti on the courthouse and some fencing erected around it, but that was pretty much the extent of the damage. Now, granted, the graffiti is ugly, and from an architectural standpoint, that building was ugly enough to start with. 
Now, let me explain the um, sites of the protests that have been going on in downtown Port. They're primarily focused on three government buildings, each of which take up an entire city block. So from north to south, there is the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse, the Multnomah County Justice Center, and then the Edith Green Wendell Wyatt Federal Office Building. Now, I always get a kick out of the Justice Center. It's just such a euphemism for basically the county lockup. I can't hear the name without thinking of this. No one was showing up for jury duty, so we made the experience more exciting by synergizing it with his comic book collection. You have been chosen to join the Justice Squadron, 8 a.m. Monday at the Municipal Fortress of Vengeance. Oh, I am so there. Okay, so we've got the three main government buildings, and to the west of each of these buildings are park blocks, Lounsdale Square, Chapman Square, and Terry Shrunk Plaza. So we're talking about six blocks total, three government buildings, and three park blocks immediately adjacent to them. So when I got to this protest area about quarter to eight in the evening, I was struck by how sedate it appeared. Most of the action was shaken in Lounsdale Square, smaller group of people in Chapman Square, and I went down to Shrunk Plaza where there's only about a dozen people and I could sit down while I tried to figure out how to get my pictures up on Twitter. After I figured that out, I went up to check the action in Lounsdale. A good portion of the square was taken up by support services for the protesters. There was a medical tent and the riot ribs set up, which provides free food and water to anyone who wants it. There are also a number of vendors selling t-shirts and the like. Overall, it was almost a festival atmosphere there, heightened in part by the aroma of cannabis. Anybody who's ever visited Shakedown Street outside of a dead show is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Next, I went to Chapman in front of the Justice Center. There were a number of protest leaders with bullhorns leading the crowd in chants. I got a couple of audio clips here. They're not very good. I took them with my cell phone. Now, at this point, I'd seen very little in the way of uniformed authority figures. There are a number of Portland Police Bureau officers on the street corners, but not too terribly many. I saw what appeared to be a riot cop photographing the crowd, but when I got closer, I saw uh, the letters ACAB on his helmet with stick-on letters, so I surmised this was actually a well-equipped photographer and not a cop. At this point, it was about 8.45. I hiked down a couple of blocks to the Salmon Street Fountain, where the Wall of Moms rallies every night. The Wall of Moms is a group of mothers and women, mostly older than the rank-and-file protesters. They wear yellow to identify themselves. This group formed shortly after the federal troops began attacking the protesters. They figured that by interposing a picket line of middle-aged, middle-class white women between the federal troops and the protesters, the troops wouldn't attack. They were wrong, but they kept coming back, bless them, and now they've been joined by dads in orange shirts with leaf blowers to dispel tear gas, and an ever-increasing number of professional groups with color-coordinated outfits. As I walked down to the fountain, I made a point to look at the buildings in the area for damage. I hadn't been downtown in about six weeks, and that was shortly after the protests began. Honestly, compared to then, there were considerably fewer businesses with boarded-up storefronts. 
There are still some, and the ones close to the government buildings had graffiti, but by and large, downtown looked better than it had six weeks ago. Also, keep in mind that a lot of the plywood had gone up before the protests during the initial lockdown back in April. I got to the Salmon Street Fountain just as the Wall of Moms was getting ready to march to the government buildings. They were being given some advice on how to behave around the police. Um, usually I'm giving these uh, Know Your Rights trainings to younger people, so, um, but for all of you as well, getting arrested is not cool or fun, so don't do it. You don't lose activist points if you never get arrested. Lots and lots of activists have never been arrested. We'd like to keep it that way. So the very first piece of advice um, we like to give is don't talk to cops. And I'm going to ask you to chant it with me so we remember it, okay? Don't talk to cops. Don't talk to cops. Don't talk to cops. Thank you, yeah. Cops can and will lie to you. We've seen them lie in the media. They will lie directly to your face. They will lie while they're arresting you, while you're in detention. However, you cannot lie to a police officer. Always assume that you are being recorded. Again, while you're being arrested, while you're being detained, while you're being held. The best thing that you can do if you are being arrested or detained is to assert your rights and stay calm. Repeatedly, vocally, loudly, ask, am I being detained? If they say yes, why? What is your reasonable and articulable suspicion for detaining me? Now, to be honest, a lot of these cops will probably just rush through and arrest you, and you won't have time to say those things. <laughs> say, I will not resist. I stuck around long enough to see the moms line up in preparation for their march, then I headed up Morrison Street. One of the TV news sites had said earlier that Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler was going to show up at 9 o'clock at the corner of 3rd and Morrison to talk to protesters. This would represent a major show of cojones from Sweaty Teddy because he's also the city police commissioner and as such, no fan to the protesters. Remember, protesters in Portland were getting gassed by the Portland Police Bureau long before the feds showed up. So I wanted to see what happened when the mayor showed his face to the crowd. However, when I got to 3rd and Morrison, the only one there was a very agitated street person who was screaming at a wall. I was pretty sure it wasn't Mayor Wheeler, so I headed back to the main protest zone. By now, it was almost full dark. More people were making their way through the streets towards the Justice Center, where the protest leaders continued to address the large crowd. The vibe was a little more amped up now. There were more people. It was dark. The helicopters buzzed overhead. Red and blue emergency vehicle lights strobed off the building fronts. Atmospheric as hell, friends and neighbors. But I have to say that despite the elevated energy, the overall mood was actually positive. I've been to protests in downtown Portland before, not my first rodeo, mind you, and some of them can be quite tense, especially the ones where the ultra-woofer patriot prayer proud boy dweebs were set to square off with the ultra-tweeter Antifa dweebs. No dweebs this time, friends and neighbors. None of that sense of tension. There was definitely a sense of urgency, but also a sense of positive reinforcement that the people there were coming together despite their different backgrounds, putting aside their differences, and working for a common goal. My previous anxieties and fears about coming downtown at that point 
completely unfounded. I went back to the Fortress of Municipal Vengeance to listen to the speakers again. They had now added Mayor Ted's no-show to the list of grievances and were calling him out for not showing up. Now, to be fair, Sweaty Teddy did turn up a little later, stayed with the protesters for a couple of hours, and then got tear-gassed by the feds to round out the evening. I wasn't around for that, though. By the time 9 o'clock, 9.30 rolled around, it was getting near my bedtime, and I knew my family was worried about me. It's pretty obvious that no public transportation was going to get through the crowd, so I humped Ruck back across the Morrison Bridge where my dear wife picked me up. That was my experience, friends and neighbors. Regardless of what you might have heard anywhere in the media, Portland is not a city under siege or a war zone that looks like it has been bombed. Yeah, there's some ugly graffitied up areas, I'll admit that, but they are almost entirely localized to that six-block area I described. All of the people I saw were well-behaved, except for the guy on 3rd and Morrison, but the overall scene was a couple of thousand people peacefully exercising their First Amendment rights. What could be more American than that? Well, quite a bit if you listen to the likes of Fox News or Rush Limbaugh. According to them, we Portlanders are Marxists, anarchists, secessionists, terrorists who hate America. That's a hell of a generalization to make about a city of 650,000 people, and they're all utterly untrue. However, the truth has never really mattered to the likes of Fox News or Donald Trump or any of his enablers, and it certainly matters less now that it has finally sunk into Trump and his chumps that they are not going to be able to bribe, bully, or bullshit away the coronavirus. The Trump administration grossly mishandled this outbreak. We are pretty much back to where we were in April, with the death toll rising while other industrial nations are on track to open back up. Worst of all, from the woofers' perspective, it is becoming clear that the economy is in serious jeopardy. They were pretty much counting on a robust economy to excuse away all of Trump's many, many, many other shortcomings and transgressions. Now that reality has somehow seeped into the White House, the Trump-Fox axis has seized on the events in Portland as an opportunity to whip up fear and loathing amongst the confused and ignorant. They've been working overtime to portray Portland as a hotbed of hard-left anarchy and that by sending in the stormtroopers, they are bringing law and order to a lawless pit of liberal despair. The fact is they're making the problem worse. Before the deployment of federal troops, the protests and the associated violence and vandalism were on the wane. Since the Trump stoppo arrived, the protests have increased and so have the violence and vandalism. Stands to reason, doesn't it? I mean, look at it this way. There's always going to be a certain percentage of agitators in any protest crowd. By increasing the overall crowd size, you increase the number of agitators. The amount of trouble that they cause goes up exponentially. It's simple human behavior. You want to keep the troublemakers far apart. Just ask any elementary school teacher who's ever drawn up a seating chart. Well, what's the end game? Will more federal troops really get the protests and the associated violence to die down? Like I said, Trump and his chumps don't want things to die down. They want to fan the flames in order to detract from their horrible failure of leadership over COVID, over BLM, and pretty much everything else. More stormtroopers mean bigger protests and in other cities now, too. 
which will mean more stormtroopers leading to bigger protests leading to what? That What's the logical outcome of this progression? Martial law? Maybe. It's tempting to think conspiratorially these days. But to be honest, I don't think the Trump chump crowd has the intelligence or foresight to think that far ahead. They just seized on something that they can use to scare the ignorant knuckleheads out in the provinces. Now, on the day I'm recording this, which is July 29th, there has been an agreement that the feds are going to take their stormtroopers out of downtown Portland as long as the Oregon State Police fill in and keep order. Well, we'll see what comes of that. I'm keeping my fingers crossed and hope that the bozos that are causing all the trouble out in the crowds are going to realize they need to back way, way off right now. Meanwhile, I can't help but wonder how the woofer support of these heavy-handed tactics works with their other advocations in these times. Where is the outrage over government overreach? How is it that a mandate to wear a face mask is a grotesque imposition of personal liberties, but sending armed stormtroopers to hassle protesters against the wishes of the city and the state, somehow this is cool? Ah, friends and neighbors, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of woofer logical inconsistency and hypocrisy. I might never emerge. I just wanted to share with you my experiences. Friends and neighbors, Portland is a great city and I love living here. Contrary to reports in the media, almost all of the city is just as functional and pleasant as can be expected in this time of COVID. It is not under siege or bombed out or controlled by radicals. The protests are by and large peaceful and passionate, but not violent or threatening. The problem is that a small handful of ne'er-do-wells use the protests to cause trouble and damage to a tiny fraction of the city. The federal troops who Trump foisted on us without our consent are making things worse, but that, I believe, is the object of the exercise. There's just over three months until Election Day. If Trump continues to lag in the polls, expect to see more provocative behavior from the White House and more outright lies from Trump's enablers. That's all for now. Things are strange and getting stranger, so I will undoubtedly get worked up enough to be back with another episode soon. I hope we can get past this authoritarian bullshit and get back to the core of the Black Lives Matter protests and what they're all about. In the meantime, y'all be good to each other out there. Now, more than ever, we're in this together. 